Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Mike Stafford, the Portable Pastor, coming to you with another teaching from God's Word, this time from Revelation chapter 19. So go ahead and turn there. We've started talking last week about an event known as the rapture. That of that event is in the scriptures. It's in the phrase caught up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That phrase caught up in the Greek was harpazo, and that means to snatch away, to seize, to carry off by force. And the first Latin translation of that word was raptura. That's where we get our word rapture. The point is that the rapture event is in the Bible, regardless of what some some naysayers teach, some translators write. It is in the scriptures. And we learned that the believer is given a blessed hope upon salvation, as described in, in Titus chapter 2. Now, according to Paul in that in that chapter, that blessed hope is the appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He used that phrase to describe the joy that God's bride, the church, has when it's finally snatched up and carried away from the earth. Now, we found out that we found out last week that that the rapture is a real event. We looked at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. We found out that Paul uses that auxiliary verb, will, six times in that passage. He does that to express the certainty of that event. And if that wasn't enough, he equated the probability in verse 14 of it happening to the already agreed upon fact of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, we also learned that the rapture is a reserved event. We found that out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. It's reserved for us the beloved siblings who are in the family of God, who are in Christ, whose labor is not in vain, but beneficial to our eternity with God. The rapture is a reserved event for us, the true universal church, the bride of Christ. We also found out that the rapture is a promised event. We looked at John 14, 1 through 3, and found out that that, that twice in this teaching by Jesus, he uses that same auxiliary verb, that strong verb, will, to describe the event. I will come again. I will take you away with me. And he said that to comfort his disciples. Remember what he said, let not your hearts be troubled. And then we looked at some interpretational uh, guidelines to keep in mind when we're studying this 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 idea of a rapture, the rapture passages in the Bible. And we look briefly very briefly, at the seven dispensations in the epic of mankind. We've heard that according to the original version of dispensationalism, remember, it's really morphed over the years, but in the original, the, the very first uh, explanation of dispensationalism, we, we learned that we're in the sixth out of seven dispensations. We learned that the two foundational beliefs, the two foundational elements in dispensationalism are Number one, Israel and the church are separate. Israel is not the church. The church hasn't become Israel. And secondly, the Bible is best interpreted literally. Now, we noticed the biblical groupings of people in the Bible. They're the non-believing Jews, the non-believing Gentiles, and then the believing saints, which exist in 
in three time frames. There's the Old Testament saints, the church age saints, and the tribulation saints. And finally, we examine the, the five pathways that each one of those groups has to their own destiny. There's, there's a pathway for the Jews who don't believe, a pathway for the Gentiles who don't believe. There's three separate pathways for the saints. Now, some of them will combine and then spread apart again, but there's, there's basically different pathways for them. And each one of those groups, each one of those pathways has, has various prophecies, and they're intended for them. Has has varying prophecies. I I gave you several of them la- last week, and, and in fact, last week I told you that there were there were only four pathways to destiny. But I forgot to break that down into the three groups of the saints instead of the two. So I should have broken that down a bit further. Sorry about that. But today we're going to examine the belief that the rapture and the second coming of Christ are two different events. Then I'm going to introduce the most the three most common beliefs about the rapture in, in reference to the tribulation, the, the pre-trib rapture, the mid-trib rapture, and the post-trib rapture. But first, let's look at the truth, because we gotta we got to nail this down. Look at the truth about the rapture and the second coming being two separate events. All right, now, now look at uh, Revelation 19 with me. Remember in this account of Revelation that... Uh, that's given to John by the angel. He he wrote about the seven churches in in chapter uh, in chapters one through three. Then the the church is not even mentioned again until chapter nineteen when it shows back up. Then he wrote all of the horrible things that's going to happen on the earth. There are twenty one events of wrath. There's there's seven seals of wrath, seven trumpets of wrath, seven bowls of wrath. All, all of them are just filled to the brim with the wrath of God, which is being you know, d- distributed on the earth and, and all of its inhabitants. He, he then wrote about the fall of Babylon. Now, now keep in mind that John's been, been writing in chronological order. He hasn't been jumping around a whole lot. Now, granted, there are some... Some parenthetical sections and chapters in the book of Revelation which appear during that chronological order just to present some more details or to take a break from that order for just a moment. For example, there there are some parenthetical writings at the beginning of chapter 19 about a joyous heavenly supper and and an excellent worship service. Uh, And then John jumps back to what's happening on earth. So that's what I'm talking about. But in this passage, the events are in chronological order. Remember, the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place before this next thing. Now follow along as I read Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes a war. His, his eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows about himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and and the name by which he is called is the word of God. Verse 14, And the, in, and the armies of heaven, array, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword on which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of his fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now notice something different here about this this event, this second coming. First is that Jesus 
is coming for war. We see that in the first three verses, 11, 12, and 13. He's coming for war. At the, at the end of verse 11, he says that Jesus judges and makes war. That's, that's pretty telling right there. John, John even said he, that Jesus is going to look the part. He's going to have those eyes, you know, just scary eyes, and they'll be fiery. He's wearing a, a great crown, and his robe is said to be dipped in blood. Well, I didn't know what that meant. I wanted to look that up because the battle hasn't started yet. The battle doesn't start till he gets here, not on his way here. So I, I didn't know where that blood came from. I read an interesting uh, theologian who believes that the blood is from the battles that are already won over that, that, that battle maybe he had with Satan when he threw him out of heaven. Maybe it's the battle over sin and death. I'm not sure what it symbolizes. I'm not sure if that's even right. But I know that Jesus is riding into battle and he's able to remember the battles that he's already dominated. I do know that for a fact. Now, his name that's written on his person somewhere, it, it, it's going to include that one that, that no one knows on one side. And on the other side, it's going to say the word of God. So we talked about that. It's been well, 11 months ago now. Last Christmas, we read John 1.14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The point is that there will be a an obvious, an apparent reminder that that I am that guy. This is what Jesus wants them to know. I am the one sent by God. I am His Son whom you deny. So there'll be no mistake this time about his royalty and about his power. Jesus is coming for war and judgment at the second coming. Now notice that Jesus returns with the church. The church is coming back with Jesus. In verse 14, the armies of heaven are mentioned, and that's not a reference to the holy angels. I can prove it. Go back to verse 6 in that same passage. Read 6 through 8 with me. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made itself, made herself ready. Until that point, granted, it could still be the angels. But listen to verse listen to verse 8. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The church is clothed in these bright white linens. That's their righteous deeds. It's granted to them by Jesus. By the way, this is why in in marriage ceremonies in, in the West, in Western countries, brides still dress themselves up in white. It's a symbol of that purity that's become a joke as of late in most cases. But most people in the West still wear that on their wedding day. But but that that's the proof of who the army is. They're wearing these white linens. Those are their righteous deeds of the saints. This is the church. Now, the angels are coming with him, too. We'll read about that in a moment. But only the church is listed here. here. Nowhere else in Scripture are angels ever clothed in white linens. Nowhere else are they clothed in white linen symbolizing an imputed righteousness. They don't have imputed righteousness. Only humans have that. Only the church is granted white linens to wear. So the church is dressed in white, is riding behind Jesus. The church returns with him. But thirdly, notice that Jesus, Jesus is coming to take over. 
Fitzpatrick says that the world will be ruled by a rod of iron. Jesus ain't putting up with nothing at this point. He took it on the chin and, and the back and the leg, everywhere, really. He, he took it but he, when he came before, but he's not taking it any longer. He ain't taking nothing at the second return. He, he's taking names. He's about to kick some human and demon behind. He, he's about to give power and authority. Uh, he was given a power and authority over everything on earth. Right, And he's about to show it. This is why he's referred to in verse 16 as the king of kings. King, capital K, of kings, lower K. And lords, capital L, of lords, lower L. He's coming back to rule. He's ruling over all kings. He's ruling over all lords. Let's, let's read on in verse 17 now. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, small K, the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. That's the church and the angels. And the beast was captured, and with it the false angel who who in, in his presence had done the signs by which were deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Verse 21, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Notice, notice what this passage says about the second coming. Number four, an angel rings the dinner bell. Hey, scavenger birds, come and get it. There's going to be a feast tonight. The angel rings that bell. Think about how many scavenger birds appear on a roadkill. Sometimes dozens of those, those birds land on, on a dead rabbit or a dead squirrel or, or, or a deer. Imagine now if the carcasses of every single soldier on that battlefield were lying there. Verse 18 says, all men, all men in that fight against Jesus die. In fact, all unbelievers die at the second coming. You may not have known that. You got to realize that all unbelievers at the second coming die. Isaiah 35 is pretty clear about the Jews. Isaiah was prophesying about who would go into the millennial kingdom. And he wrote this, and a highway shall be there. And that shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That is talking about every Jew on earth. All of them will be right with the Lord when they enter the millennial kingdom. Now, Jesus was pretty clear when he spoke about everyone else. Everyone else not a Jew when he was talking in Matthew 25. Listen to what verse 31 and following says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. He's talking about the millennial kingdom. That's where he sits on the throne. 
And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This happens right before the millennial kingdom. So it's very clear that no unbelieving Jew and no unbeliever period survives the second coming of Christ. They will die and the birds will eat their flesh. Then notice what's written. The armies of the earth line up against Jesus. Talk about a an idiotic military decision. That, that's, that's the epitome of it. The beast will convince men to stand in line facing Jesus in battle. That is idiotic. But they will stand nonetheless. And of course, Jesus is going to win the battle. Verses 20 and 21 tell us very clearly that the beast, the false prophet, they're just snatched up, thrown into the lake of fire, never to rise again. Everyone there to fight will see those adorned, uh, adored leaders destroyed very quickly. And then they will see Jesus turn his face toward them. Can you imagine the terror of those people in that moment? Or if Jesus could do that to the beast, if Jesus could do that to the false prophet, what could he do to them? It only lasts a second because when Jesus speaks, they die. That fast, that effortlessly, that precise, that complete. Jesus is going to then hold court for all the, the people and the nations on earth and all believers go into the millennial kingdom and all unbelievers die. I told you, Jesus isn't playing any games at the second coming. Now compare the second coming with what we learned last week about the rapture. What did we learn about the rapture? Well, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, the church is snatched away or snatched up and taken away, taken away from the situation. The living and the dead in Christ will meet the Lord in the air. It's not mentioned at the second coming. 1 Corinthians 15, it says the rapture happens so fast, it's in the twinkling of an eye, a split second. No, no one will die from the rapture, but everyone will be given a new body ready for sinless immortality. Death is not mentioned in the rapture verses. John 14, 1 through 3 says that we don't have to worry about the future. If you think about that war and you think about Jesus killing everyone on earth, you're going to worry about that. But we don't worry about that. There's a place in heaven for us who are ready to be with Jesus because while that's happening, before we return with Christ, we're in heaven. We're at the marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going through the beam of seat of Christ. But look at what Jesus does differently at these two events. Jesus comes for the church at the rapture. He returns with the church at the second coming. Jesus stops in the clouds at the rapture. He lands on the ground at the second coming. Jesus meets Christians in the air at the rapture and non-Christians on the battlefield at the second coming. Jesus brings blessings at the rapture and he brings, he brings wrath at the second coming. Jesus is drastically different at these two, at these two events. Now look how, how Christians are different at these two events. Christians fly at the rapture, but they ride in the second coming. Christians are taken away in the rapture. They're brought back in the second coming. A Christian gets a new body in the rapture and new clothes 
at the second coming. Look at the difference in general of these two events. There's a recreation in the rapture. We're all getting new bodies. There's destruction of certain bodies in the second coming. The rapture is going to occur in secret, and the second coming is going to be invisible to everyone. That's what the scripture says. And the raptures can happen at any minute. The rapture could happen at any minute. And the second coming is scheduled after the tribulation. Those two events could not be any different. Now, we have to keep that in mind when we get to the timing of the rapture in relation to the tribulation. Like I said, it might happen before the tribulation. It might happen in the middle of the tribulation. And it might happen at the end of the tribulation. And for that, you're going to have to come back next week. You're going to have to come back next week and hear that. I've said several times, you know how to keep a, a moron in suspense? I'll tell you later. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I'm, gonna, I'm just teasing you with it this week. Now, just know there are camps of people who believe that Jesus is coming back pre-tribulation, pre uh, before that seven-year period when God pours out his wrath on the church. Uh, that's the dispensation, or that's the the seven year period of time between the two remaining dispensations, the one that we're in now and the one that that follows after that, the millennial reign of Christ. There are some people who believe in something called pre wrath, meaning that the first half of the tribulation is not bad. It's not the wrath of God. They would tell you it's, it's the wrath of man. Then the second half is the wrath of God. I can't really get there in Scripture, but we're going to talk about that more next week. And then some people believe that the second coming and the rapture are all kind of at the same time. There are some who believe the rapture is first, and then immediately the second coming happens, which means that some people believe that we fly up to meet Jesus in the air, and then we, we come back immediately with him. There's nothing in between. It's really the same event. Now, I am predisposed to, to believe one of these because I think the scripture is very clear. And I want to tell you about that next week. But I want you to know right off the bat that this, the difference in opinions, the difference in, in our thinking on these things is an inter-family discussion. This is not going to divide us. It's not salvific. It doesn't take away salvation. It doesn't thwart faith. It just puts this blessed prompt, blessed hope in, in a, another time frame. That, that's it. So it does not divide us. And I don't want you to think that I'm going to be speaking negatively about anyone who believes those other things. I'm not going to. I'm not. I just want to present what I see, what I read in the scriptures. And I, I'm going to do that next week. So let me just wrap this up this week this way. Christian, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back for his church. And the fact that he hasn't done yet, uh, he hasn't done that yet, just proves that he's not done adding to his church. We, we need to pray that others will be added to his kingdom. Even this week, we're to keep our ears and our eyes open the possibility of Jesus preparing for preparing someone, maybe in our circles of influence, to receive his offer of salvation. Jesus is still saving people in groves. We need to be ready to share the gospel if God opens that door uh, for us. And non-Christian, if you're listening to this, you're just you're just interested in these things. I want to tell you too, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. The first time is to take his church away. The second time is to bring judgment and wrath. You want to be ready at the right one. Listen, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that gathering. 
Either you're for him or you're against him. And the determining factor is the forgiveness of your sin. If Jesus has forgiven your sin, you have you have submitted to the Lordship of Christ. You are going in that first part of his return. If you haven't, you will be there when he comes back on, on a white horse. And that's not a good place to be. If you want to secure your destiny, I can tell you how to do that today. Just simply email me at mike at fbcclover.com and say, I am interested in sealing my destiny. How do I do that? And I'll go through do that with you step by step. We can do that together. Well, let me pray for you. I'm going to cut you loose, but then you got to come back next week. This is going to be a, a great way to wrap up this discussion. When do When do I think that the scriptures say that Jesus will come back to retrieve his church and take them to heaven. Let's let's talk about that next week. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for for the time that we've got to spend in your Bible, the time that you showed us some things so that we can have an ease in our hearts. You told us not to worry. You told us to encourage and uplift each other with these truths, and I hope that we've done that today. Father, I pray that if someone doesn't know you, they're not saved, their pathway is not sealed in their destiny, they would deal with that today. Father, help them to turn to you today, and we'll give you the glory for all things. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. I hope that was a blessing to you. Come back next week. I know it will be. It will be. Uh, Come back next week. Until then, remember, if you're walking step for step with Christ, he is very much pro you. Be blessed. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time. Be blessed, and remember, God is pro-you.